James chapter 3. I'm glad to see you here. Heard years ago, great advice. Don't wait for six strong men to carry you to church. Go there yourself, amen? And uh, some people wait for that until they're carried in in a box, and we don't want that. A question was once asked, if you could choose what you want most in life, what would you ask for? And in the survey, the most common answer was peace. Peace. People want peace in their families. They want peace in their workplaces, in their friendships. In America today, we have some of the best medical and psychological treatment centers. We have the best educational institutions. We have the best worldwide communication abilities. And yet, we see, in spite of all these things, most people are without true inner peace. We see broken marriages, split families, hatred, rebellion, financial anxiety, and certainly we see an unsettled country. So what does the world do? The world offers peace through escapism, whether it be drugs, alcohol, immoral relationships, constant, constant entertainment and distraction. It is sought through all forms of materialism. And then it's also sought through appeasement. Many believe that peace is defined by the absence of trouble. To maintain peace, we often refuse to face the problems of our life. One thing that we'd better learn is that this world does not have the answer to true peace. The Norwegian Academy of Sciences and many historians from England, Egypt, Germany, and India have come up with a study that's quite interesting, and they studied on this uh, idea of peace in the world. Since 3600 BC, the world has known only 292 years of peace. Uh, During this time, there had been 14,351 wars, big or small. 3.64 billion people have been killed in these wars. They say if they were, they tried to estimate the the, uh, amount of property or the value of property that was destroyed in these wars, it would be equal to a golden band going around the world 97 miles wide and 33 feet thick. Over 8,000 peace treaties have been made and broken. Peace is something we want and we desire in our life, yet it is constantly eluding us. I want to talk to you this morning about a warning in Scripture. Uh, It may be a new spin on a common perception that you have, but I ask you today to, as we always should, approach the Word of God with an open heart. The Lord shows you something, let's listen. There is a certain symbol today It's uh, popular on clothing, on pins, on signs. It's called the peace symbol. Very familiar to all of us, I'm sure. Uh, Even in many religious magazines, it's there. Uh, Gerald Holtham is the one who brought this symbol to the forefront in 1958. It was designed uh, by flag semaphores. You know what the semaphore is when they do uh, communication through the use of flags. And so this symbol, the downward line on this symbol uh, is for the letter D, and the downward, uh, the slopes, the the, uh, curved lines represent the letter N. Uh, N and D for nuclear disarmament, uh, enclosed in a circle. It was popular during the 60s and 70s, 
uh, even more than today, and, but it's still seen many places today. And so what? Isn't peace a good thing? Is peace something we ought to desire at all costs? Let's look at a passage of Scripture. If you have James chapter 3, we're going to look at verse number 17. The Bible says, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. Peace follows purity. Calmness comes after chasteness. Upset, confused, erratic spirits often have their roots in impurity. I want to talk today about when the destruction of peace, when peace actually can destroy. Father, I thank you for helping us today. I pray that you would clarify your word. Help me not to get in the way of it, but present it in such a way that's a help and encouragement to us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, just to set the foundation. Peace is a good thing. Amen? Peace is something we want. And peace is a creation of God. God made peace. Uh, it is a good thing if it's according to God's standard. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 14.33, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. He's the author of peace. <clears throat> As in all the churches of the saints, peace is something that we all seek after. Peace is something that God is the author of. But the peace that this world most often refers to is not the peace that the Bible is talking about. And that's why Jesus said in Luke 12, 51, Suppose ye that I am come to give peace on earth. He said, Nay, but rather division. Christ is the great divider of men. He did not come to earth to set up some unified economical organization. No, his coming to earth actually resulted in the division of mankind. Now, this seems to be a contradiction in Scripture because the Bible says that God is the author of peace, but yet Jesus came not to bring peace, but to bring division. Well, it's no contradiction. Rather, it's how peace is obtained that made Jesus say this. Really, friend, I believe this with all my heart, is that if there is... No other, uh, there's probably no greater sign of the nearness of the second coming than this cry of peace. There is coming a day when God's children are raptured out and they're going to rise, uh, there is going to rise after we're gone, the Antichrist. And then he will seek to destroy the world. How will he do it? In Daniel chapter 11, we read of Antiochus Ephenus. He's an Old Testament type of the Antichrist. In Daniel 11:21, the Bible says, "In his estate shall stand up a vile person, to whom they shall not give the honor of the kingdom, but he shall come in peaceably and obtain the kingdom by flatteries. He will gain power with peace." In Daniel chapter 8, it talks about peace as a weapon. In verse 25, and through his policy also, he shall craft to prosper in his hand. He shall magnify himself in his heart. And by peace shall destroy many. The great weapon here is not war. It is peace or the promise of peace. Peace is like happiness in that it never comes to those who pursue it. If you ever notice that with happiness, 
uh, we all want to be happy, don't we? In fact, the Founding Fathers put right in the Declaration of Independence, the pursuit of happiness is one of our rights. We want to be happy. <clears throat> but those who wish to be happy, always chasing the next high in life, are only going to find more misery. If you put your whole focus on your happiness, I promise you, friend, you will not find it. Many people think that if they get everything they want, they'll be happy. Oh, they've got a list. If I got such and such or this or that, I will be happy. And so they look for the next contraption, that new car, that computer, that phone, that house. That's what I need to make me happy. Say, if I could only get a car or if I could only get a home like the Joneses, you'd be miserable just like the Joneses are miserable, amen, uh, if you got what they had. Happiness is so elusive. You ever notice that when your cup of happiness is finally full, somebody jostles your elbow and spills it out of your cup? Uh, we're ever grasping, always seeking that thing called happiness and never finding it. Remember when you were a child? Anyway, that's the way it was for me. I would look at adults and I would think, one day when I become an adult, man, I'm going to buy all the candy I want. My, half the drawers in my house are going to be full of candy. I'm going to eat candy whenever I want. When I finally got to the place where I could eat as much candy as I wanted, I didn't want candy anymore. Isn't that something? But I would look, man, when I'm an adult, whew, I'm going to be happy. Now, as an adult, you look at the kids. Boy, I remember when I was a kid. That's the last time I was happy, when I was a kid. We look back and forth. <clears throat> Unhappiness, or the failure to find happiness, is not really even caused, don't miss this, by searching for the wrong thing. It's really caused by just the search itself. Luke 16, uh, 17, 33. Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it. Whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. It does not say that it depends on where he looks. It doesn't say he seeks for his life at the bar or at parties or if he seeks for it in a bottle or in a needle, then he's not going to find it. It's just the fact that if he seeks for it in the first place, with all the riches and the pleasure that America has to offer, its citizens are no more happy. Even in our fairy tales, you read the story or watch the movie of the Snow White, and the statistic in that movie, only one in seven dwarves is happy. Amen? You see it even in our fairy tales. We will not find it till we lose ourselves. There's nothing, nothing as empty as a self-lived life. A self-obsessed life. Happiness then comes from uh, doing, not from getting. Let me give you a few verses. Proverbs 1, 15. Happy as that people whose God is the Lord. Proverbs 3.13, Happy is the man that findeth wisdom. Proverbs 14.21, He that hath mercy uh, on the poor, happy is he. Proverbs 16.20, uh, Whoso trusteth in the Lord, happy is he. Proverbs 29.18, uh, He that keepeth the law, happy is he. John 13.7, Jesus has just finished washing the disciples' feet and He's teaching them about servanthood. And He says this, If you know these things, Happy are ye if you do them. 1 Peter 3.14 Happy are ye if you suffer. I said happy are ye if you suffer for righteousness sake. Happiness then is not something that you seek after and find. Happiness is a byproduct of doing right. Stop trying to obsess over your own happiness. Just do right and it will sneak up on you. 
I promise. Just do right. And I say all this because the same is true of peace. Peace should not directly be sought. It's a byproduct also of doing right. Here is a seeming contradiction that I want to lay out. And don't shut me off when you hear it. Hear me out and you can judge me afterwards. Amen? All right, let's go with this statement. Peace does not come from the absence of conflict. Peace comes from a willingness to fight. Hear that right. I believe I can show you from Scripture. Peace comes from a willingness to fight. Let's use our nation as an example. Our nation has not been without its skirmishes. Uh, But for most, uh, by and large, for our 250 years, we've had peace. In the 1770s, our forefathers had to make a choice. They were being taxed without representation. They were being misused and their liberties were being violated. Now, if they were seeking peace at that time, they would have bowed down to Britain They would have done what they said, and for the time being, they would probably have avoided war. But we have enjoyed centuries of peace and liberty because they were willing to stand and fight for a short while. True peace does not come from laying down. True peace comes from the willingness to fight uh, for right. We would not have the freedoms we have today if these men had not been willing to fight. At times, we have to be willing to stand up for right. Why? So that we might have peace in the long run. The right kind of peace. Let me remind you of what this text makes clear that we read. Peace is not to be our primary goal. The Bible says, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable. Purity is our number one goal. Purity is our standard. That is what we seek after. It is my contention that if we fight for purity, peace will come. The peace that is represented in large part by this symbol here is to lay down and take what they dish out. This may be momentary peace, but it is not long term. A nation dedicated to disarmament is headed for destruction. More lives are saved by those who fight for what is right than for those who lay down for what is wrong. Ray Bradbury said this, War is a bad thing, but peace can be a living horror. Now, we only understand that when we look at it through the lenses of how we've been talking. Uh, When we lay down just for peace, when we don't fight for right, and we just let wrong overcome, then that can be a living horror. Yet we live in a nation today that is tranquilized into weakness. It used to be that our young men liberated nations. Now they seek safe spaces. Oh, we're in a mess today, aren't we? We are in a generation that demands the absence of all conflict. And so we lay down as our liberties are trampled. Peace is everything. No, no, friend. Righteousness is everything. The the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable. A nation finds she has a thousand times more peace fighting for right than laying down for wrong. By the way, we should not desire to make peace with the wicked anyway. The Bible tells us twice in Isaiah, uh, in Isaiah 48, 22, there is no peace, saith saith the Lord, to the wicked. He says again in Isaiah 57, 21, there is no peace, saith my God, for the wicked. Amen. We have war so that we might have peace. He that is willing to fight for a day will have peace for years tomorrow. I'm grateful that John MacArthur responded as he did. Last week when California rule came out, there can be no more church. Uh, he said, no, we're going to have church. He didn't get mean, he didn't get spiteful, he just stood 
and we're going to have church. You know what this is going to do, and it has already happened? It's going to bring about a few battles. Uh, the Christian Legal Association uh, <coughs> excuse me, currently is defending a number of churches who have decided to stay open despite what the government says. They're defending those. And there may be some battles. And, oh, friend, we don't like the battle. No one likes the battle. But if you don't take a stand once in a while, they're going to take away the liberty that you have, and then you won't have peace tomorrow at all. And in other words, if you sacrifice today to maintain peace, in the end, you won't have any peace. Unless we have some Christians willing to stand up for right, we will lose the liberties we have today. Satan destroys with a promise of peace. We see it in our nation. Let me give you another example, not only in our nation, but in our family, in the home. If in your home you tolerate wrong to have peace, you will have no peace. Boy, preacher, that was so good, I'd like for you to say it again. Okay, I will. If in your home you tolerate wrong just to have peace, you will have no peace. If you let your child live like the devil because you do not like conflict, you'll never have peace. And I, and I, look, we've all been there. I've been there. Nobody wants to come home from a long day at work. You're tired. Uh, you just want to relax a little bit, and you don't want to walk into a bunch of conflict. But I have found out over and over, in the long run, your peace will be far more disrupted if you ignore the current battle and uh, you let wrong have the day. I'm simply saying you have to put a higher priority on righteousness and purity in your home in order to have peace. The way to have proper peace in your home is to make righteousness king. Uh, to, to determine and to say clearly to your children and your family, we are going to do right. Like Joshua said in Joshua chapter 24, verse 15, and if it seem evil to you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. The gods that your father served on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, he said, we will serve the Lord. And we need some men like that in our homes today. Hey, in this house, we serve the Lord. We will honor His Word. We will be faithful to His church. We will reject worldliness. You know what this will do? I'm going to tell you a secret. You're going to have some battles. You will, if you take that kind of stand. You know why? Because children don't always like to do what's right. Guess what? Neither do you and I. But we'll blame the children, amen? <laughs> father came home from work, and just as he got out of the car, he was met by his five-year-old daughter on the sidewalk outside his house, and the little girl was upset. And he said, is there something wrong, honey? She said, yes, all day I've been having trouble with your wife. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Benjamin Spock told us to let a child go his own way. Let them express themselves. If they throw themselves down on the floor and kick and scream, they're simply expressing themselves. I've always wondered, why can't I express myself when I see that? Because I've got certain things I'd like to express, but the child ought to be able to express themselves. Can I tell you that today, what we have in our cities with the rioting and the burning, we have a bunch of spoiled children who grew up expressing themselves. 
You know what they're doing now? They're still expressing themselves. Oh, but when they were five or six or ten years old or twelve years old, I just want to keep the peace. What they're doing now in expressing themselves, we've went from a minor problem to a very major problem because at one time we were not willing to fight the battle. It never, it never pays to allow sin just to keep the peace. But parents often allow the wrong thing because they want to keep peace. That's why when we allow them to throw a fit at age three, we can't figure out why they're completely out of control at age 13. All we wanted was some peace. There's good news, friend. The only way that you can have peace in your home is to be willing to fight for what's right. You'll see it in our text. The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable. We need to have some parents start running the home instead of three-year-olds and six-year-olds running the home. Homes can be destroyed in the pursuit of peace. The, the pursuit of peace can be destructive in our nation, in our homes. I'll take it a step further. As our kids become teenagers, we allow a little bit more of bending the rules. Uh, if we're, uh, we just, just want to keep the peace. And in the subsequent rebellion that comes from that, we find no peace. We have uh, rules on our, when we run the church bus and activities and camp and different things. Uh, we do unthinkable things on that church bus. Things that would faint the heart of any parent. We take away cell phones. Can I have an amen? amen? We take away cell phones from kids. For some of them, it's the first time They've ever been amputated from their bodies. I had one girl, no lie, I had one girl, I took, I, I said, we collected the cell phones. She was about nine years old. And when, she, when I took the phone from her hand, she says, it's like you're taking my soul. They don't like to be separated from cell phones. We don't allow earbuds on the bus. We don't allow videos on the bus. No, uh, we, we, we have rules. We have somewhat strict rules. And why? Why are we that strict? Well, if you'll take your Bible to turn, uh, turn to James 13, I'd like to answer that question actually with an illustration. And I've asked a few kids to come up and help me, so if I called on you before, you come right on up. If we uh, have you come right on up here, and uh, one of them is not a kid, one of them is a young lady, but I didn't have enough kids, so I had to call on her as well. Uh, what we're going to have you do is just stand, uh, just stand in a row right across the front here, and I'm going to give each one of you... A piece of paper. There you go. You stepped on my foot. That hurts. Okay. Now, what I want you to do is hold up the sheet of paper as I give it to you. But if you'll turn your Bibles to uh, James chapter 1, we're going to look at verse 14. The Bible says that but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, let's see if I'm reading that right here. It bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So in that, those verses, you have six steps uh, in the idea of temptation to sin. Now, they're not all sin. This one is not sin, because temptation in itself is not sin. Jesus was tempted, was he not? He did not sin. This one is not sin. We're all drawn. Hey, we might like the chocolate cake and be drawn to it, but if we don't eat it, it's not sin, right? So we're not, drawn is not sin, enticed is not sin. By the way, drawn is internal, enticed is external. 
So we are drawn of our own lust, that's an internal desire to do wrong, or we can be enticed, that would be from the outside. I contend to you that we do much more sin because we're drawn than we do because we're enticed. We blame a lot more enticement, but anyway, that's a different message. So we're drawn, uh, we're enti- still not sin. And then it says uh, that, that we are drawn away of our own lust. Now, lust in the Bible, it simply means, uh, it simply means appetite, desire. Now, we, we uh, use the word in a sexual term in, in, in our nation a little more, but, but lust in the Bible simply means an appetite. So, because of our own appetites, we're tempted, we're drawn, we're enticed, and then, now, this really, in and of itself, is not sin either. A simple appetite for wrong is not sin because we all have it because we're simple. But you're right on the edge here, and then that leads to, raise it up, that leads to sin, I couldn't think of a better person to hold this than Molly, amen? The word sin. All right. Uh, she, we have sin, and then when sin is finished, it bringeth forth death. Now, here's what I want to illustrate to you today. This is what sets our church, hopefully, apart from more liberal churches, and this is what sets your home apart from those homes who let their kids do anything they want. You've heard it from your children. Mom, Dad, they let... Such and such as parents, let her do it, let him do it. And so those parents who let their kids do anything, even in a weak home, even in a weak church, they're going to have rules against this one. Nobody wants their kids to die. And many, many will even have rules against this one. But my desire, both for our church and for my home, is that I have things set in place and standards set in place not to only avoid these last two, but so that we can help avoid this as well. Temptation. Because one thing you have to understand, that before there is death, before there is sin, there's going to be lust, there's going to be temptation, drawn, enticed, lust, sin, it all ends up in death. (coughs) And so, in other words, in your non-denominational community worship center of your town, USA, they have rules against number five. In that home where everybody, they just let their kids do anything, they still try to avoid number six, death. They don't want their kids to die. But uh, in my home, and I hope in your home as well, we have rules against number one. We don't even want to put them in a situation where they're tempted to do wrong. That makes sense? So we have standards. So we have rules. So we have some battles. Amen? We do. If you're going to raise your kids right, you're going to have some battles. Uh, that's why we have standards. That's why we're will- willing to stand up for some right. That's why we say no to Christian rock and roll music. That's why we say no to sex before marriage. That's why we say no to wild parties and to dancing. That's why I would never, speaking for myself, I would never send my child to a prom. I believe in doing things right and proper. Why? Because I don't, I'm not only trying to keep them from here, I'm trying to keep them from here. And so why would I put them in a place where they got to deal with these three, which leads to that? Does that make sense? Praise God if your home has strong standards. Praise God if your home has, has strict rules. Aren't strict homes great, kids? Amen. No answer there. I heard it from adults. Amen. We appreciate strict homes. One leads to two. Two leads to three. Three leads to four. So let's stop trying to just stop this. Let's try to stop that. And it happens through 
strong standards. It happens through a dad, a mom, taking a stand. We're not going to do such and such. We're going to allow worldliness to creep in. We're going to have a home that honors the Lord. Now, say, are you, you'll never stop temptation. No, you won't. But I'll do everything I can to stand in the way, amen? And so we want to do that. Don't make the mistake of pursuing peace when right is on the line, friend. Oh, preacher, you're just old-fashioned. Well, I, maybe I'm guilty of that. But I simply believe I'd rather have a child in church on Sunday morning than the county jail. So I want to stand in the gap. And I want to stay so that not only am I trying to keep them from sin, but I'm trying to keep them from temptation, from enticement, from being drawn into sin. So when a pastor gets into a pulpit and rolls back his sleeves and preaches against sin, it might ruffle some feathers. In other words, you might upset the peace. But you know what? That's okay because in areas of righteousness, then we need to stand for what's right. We need to stand, whether it's popular or not. You, in fact, even need to be ready to fight for it. You take a spineless preacher will stand there and tell you what you want to hear. You might have peace right then, but not in the long run. Let me tell you what love is. Real love is a pastor or a mom or a dad who will have the backbone to look you in the eye and say, no, no. You're not going to wear that. You're not going to watch that. You're not going to do that. We need some moms and dads who are not afraid to fight for what's right. And yes, it'll disrupt your peace for a while, but in the long run, you'll have more peace than you ever would letting it go. We Wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable. Now, and children, even some of these precious ones on stage may not understand it today, but trust me, young people, we're just trying to keep you from sin. Amen? And so, boy, my home's got these rules. I don't understand all these different rules. And, and these decisions, these, these uh, standards that we have may lead to all-out war. But both of you will appreciate it in the long run. I don't know how many homes. I worked as a youth pastor for many years. I don't know how many homes I saw destroyed just because parents wouldn't take a stand for hope for some peace. And I get it. I understand it. I'm just trying to encourage you and warn you today, don't put up with a bunch of conflict down the road because you want a little peace today. First pure, then peaceable. Preachers all over the country are letting people sit in their pews for years and die and go to hell because they love peace too much to preach the truth against sin. God help us. God help them. First pure, then peaceable. Best way to spread God's righteousness and God's, uh, or spread God's peace is through righteousness and true love. That's the reason why we preach the truth. That's the reason why I encourage you in your home, hold righteousness high. When your child comes to you and tells you how unfair your home is, <laughs> I always told my children, I have higher expectations of you than I do of the kids down the street. I have, I have hopes for you, dreams for you. And we're going to hold the standard high. And, and it'll hurt the peace at the time sometimes, but in the long run, you'll be grateful for it. Thank you, young people. I appreciate it. You can just uh, take those with you, and you can uh, hold on to and remind you of places not to go. Thank you so much. I, I close with this thought as well. This.
desire for peace can hurt our witnessing. Many of us, many people will not share their faith because they're afraid of offending others. In hopes of keeping the peace, they will not tell them of a Christ who died for them and who will take them to heaven for eternity. They would never want to offend or hurt the friendship or the relationship, and so in order to keep peace, they never tell them about a place called hell. That without Christ, that is where we're headed. Oh, friend, listen. Uh, We may keep the peace today, but what about tomorrow? Never telling them of a Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. I, 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 again, totally get it. I understand. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. Sometimes we feel we might jeopardize a relationship, but don't ever uh, let a friend or a family member die and spend a Christless eternity because you wanted to maintain peace with that unsaved person. Let's be faithful. Let's do what God tells us to do. What, listen friend, what will you sacrifice for peace? What will you let go for the sake of peace? Can I warn you today, in the long run, there will be no peace. The Bible says the wisdom from above. First, first, pure. That's what we're aiming for. That's what we're fighting for. That's what we're promoting in our homes. That's what we promote in our church. First pure, then peaceable. I fear in our churches, in our families, in our nation, we have sacrificed so much just to have a little peace. In the long run, we'll have none. What did God talk to you about today? Let's have every head bowed, every eye.